This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wood, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal Cast and YouTube. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. This one is in keeping with theme lately, kind of going in depth on something we've touched on periodically pretty much throughout the whole of COVID, and that is sealed sets worth sitting on. So we're going into this blind. We each pick sets that we think are worth sitting on sealed, yeah. and we haven't told each other. Nope. So let's start with the sets. What What are your sets? Uh, so when I thought about this, I originally thought uh, Theros and Akoria. Okay. And... I stuck with Akoria, but the more I thought about Theros, I kind of fell off because so much of that set has been banned from competitive play. And I forgot how good Zendikar Rising is for EDH. So I settled on Akoria and Zendikar Rising. Okay. That's that's so as as we kind of touched on there, there is one source of overlap there. Yep. Uh, and for me, because I also had two sets that I'm like, I think this is worth it. It's Zendikar Rising and Jumpstart. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I as you said, Zendikar Rising has insane value for EDH. Yeah. I think Jumpstart also has insane value for EDH. I thought about Double Masters, but at this point, it's just so expensive. Yeah. I, it's it's not like you either have it already or you're not getting it. Yeah, the, the way I thought about this was when I think about sealed product I want to sit on, um, I think about products that are generally unfavorable to me in the long run because it means I have to sit on a lot of the product. So it yeah. was less about the supplementals, although I do agree that the supplementals are almost always a good hold. Uh, so I yeah. didn't think about the commander sets that were, re that were released or the master sets. So uh, I kind of pushed those out of mind when I, when I was looking back at this. And I kind of came at this from an angle of, okay, what has competitive appeal left and what supports Commander well enough that can float price after rotation? And um, I like that, that you strayed from standard sets uh, and, you, and you're thinking, because one of the caveats I had to, to add to this was, I don't want to pick a set where the money is in the variance. I want to yeah. pick a set where the draft sets or the what are the boost the regular sets, the regular version of the set, um, yeah. the non-draft version, stands on its own, not because of variance or inserts. And I know I said Zendikar, and there are there is the buy box promo inside there. Sure. And so yeah, that adds a bit of EV to the boxes overall. But that set doesn't stand up because of that. When exactly. Um, it it has utility and value outside of that. That's one of the reasons when you said Theros, um, or sorry, Akoria, I was like, well, a lot of the value in those two sets is in the variants. And that, that was one of the reasons I strayed away from them, yeah. was because you have all these, like, you know, and we've harped on it before, there's a million different versions of every card, which one is actually oh, worth yeah, absolutely. But pop quiz, hot shot, how much does Luris cost? Uh, three? Eleven. Wait, what? Non-variant. Okay. This is a card Jeez. I've been tracking for a while, because I think I have oh, my four. Oh, money. I thought, I thought you meant casting cost. I was like, oh, three. Oh. <laughs> no. Yeah. Fair, yeah. It, yeah. It's an $11 card. It's the fourth yeah. most expensive card in Akoria. Yeah. When looking at Donglair. Number one is the Ozzelin. 
and that was an EDH card before it moved into modern, right? So that's kind of what that's kind of why uh, I liked Akoria to start was because it has immediate appeal competitively and it has mm -hmm. casual appeal up and down. Remember Luminous Broodmoth? How people were up in arms about how fucking broken that card was going to be? One, two, three, four, yeah, it needed to be banned before the set even released. Yep, uh, one of those cards. It is nine dollars, yeah. the sixth most expensive card in the set, the most expensive mythic right now, non-variant. But that's a card that does a lot in the long run, and that's what I was looking for in a set. That's what I want to sit on because you know I'm not somebody like Jim Bruso or Rudy that just has a vault of sealed. I can't afford that much space. So I want to pick up a box that has immediate value across multiple spheres. And yeah. the ability for these cards to keep going up in price because the majority of the most expensive ones are casual is appealing to me. And especially because with Akoria, uh, a little less with Zendikar, a lot of the most casually slanted cards also see constructive play because of the triumphs or yeah. the companions yeah with zendikar that's a little different you look at it and you see like agadim's awakening is 14 dollars on the front that card is absolutely casual but it's yeah. great because it's a modal spell skyclave apparition is seven dollars which is the fourth most expensive column in zendikar right but so is scoot swarm and ashaya those yeah. are edh cards right and to me it's cards like that that are going to keep these sets afloat in the long run you know the we don't see scoots anywhere else anymore outside of zendikar and then you have cards like valakut's awakening which is a great edh card like it is five six dollars i think yeah. you can you might be able to buy sometimes you gotta track it you can actually buy set foils cheaper than set non-foils for this card it happens a lot you just gotta yeah. watch tcg player i don't get it but these sets are just kind of like fraught with value and i think it's there for the long term and it would be something i'd be happy to sit on in comparison to some of the other standard sets that were uh, released recently because i think they're a little more narrow overall they burn really bright at the top but it falls off really quickly i think one of the interesting things too was that when i was looking at this uh and it's not something i typically like when i think about a set i look for I was actually trying to find sets that had value in the uncommon slot. Okay. Because to me, sets that have value in the uncommon slot tend to hold their value longer. So like, you know, worst case, what's probably going to happen is I'm going to sell this as a sealed box. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. But if that doesn't happen, if I'm like, you know what, guys, let's hang out, let's draft, whatever. I think that when you have the sealed product, the higher floor of having value on commons is obviously better, which I think is one of the reasons that supplemental sets yes. do so well. Yeah. Is because you have like cards downshifted to rarities that, you know, are typically unheard of for a constructed set, but for a limited draft environment, they're like, well, we can afford to have this card as an uncommon and, you know, throw a few more in there. Obviously there's also, you know, foils, everything else to worry about. But that's something that I'd never really considered prior to us literally pitching this episode. I was like, I wonder what the uncommons are like in some of these mm -hmm sets and that was something that actually did influence like okay well this this set may be a little bit better because you know there's five uncommons that are worth over a dollar cool yeah um, it, it's not something you really think of um yeah. usually master sets they you know they kind of come they go and the cards that are going to cost a lot in the uncommon slots are the ones that are going to be there forever you know i'm looking at jumpstart now path to exile of course it's going to cost a bunch i forgot harold's horn was in that yeah set. 
as an uncommon. Blood Artist, an uncommon in that set. Phyrexian Reclamation, I believe, downshifted to unco uncommon. Yep. You know, Goblin Lore, these are all cards that are played casually and competitively that are worthwhile in this set and help float. And it's just not something that I think of that often when looking at master sets and on the whole. Um, but I think part of that is also because I'm an enfranchised player, so I don't need to look at the slot for cards. You know, yeah. Out of all the cards I named, like Harold's, Harold's Horn is the only one I didn't pick up when it was in Standard because it was an EDH card. Like, yeah. So it's... This, this, does, this does always prove as an interesting thought experiment, uh, definitely, and something to always look out for, even particularly in standard sets, because when you have a juiced on common slot, that means the set generally is going to carry a little bit of weight. I mean, for for all the grief it got, uh, Fatal Push in standard did kind of juice, what is it, Aether, not Aether Revolt. Aether Revolt, yeah. Yeah, like, did help juice that set a bit because that was a chase card. If people yeah. needed that card for play, and they still do, you know, it, it definitely helps out and helps, you know, lean into the cost. Um, now, we pitched this episode, I think, before the announcement of the Jumpstart set that's coming to Arena, which will be Arena only and have digital only cards. But the expectation is that because that won't be a paper set, that won't really impact anything you see right because there will be no yeah. translation exactly yeah I, it's digital only it will probably have an impact eventually when they yep. realize that they can control the secondary market and arena but that's a ways down the line and i think that worst case maybe there's some people that are playing it on arena that didn't have access to it in paper that now all of a sudden want access to those cards yep. But that seems pretty minor to me. Like, I, I don't think that's very likely. Maybe I'm wrong, but that doesn't seem very likely to me. Okay. I, I think the only thing in regards to Jumpstart that it's not worrying, it's kind of a question I had, and it fell out of the quarterly announcements today, was that Watsi was so profitable this year, and Hasbro acknowledged short print runs that... I almost wonder if they're going to start a bidding war between printers to find somebody who can handle higher volume or introduce another printer into the mix. And if that happens, since Jumpstart was always supposed to be a quote-unquote print-to-demand set, and we did miss out on the first print run due to uh, actual, not COVID-related issues, but pr printer storage actual issues. Actual print issues, yeah. Yeah. If that that, was... that was something I was concerned about um, because I think it is a set that merits revisiting. Of yep. all of the sets of 2020, it is the one that I think is most likely to see a sizable reprint. But I think the window where we could see that is closing. Okay. And I think that you know in the next two to three months after you know we get through Adventures in Forgotten Realms, which is a great draft format. I won't say that often, but it's a ton of fun. After we get through that and get to the Twilight sets again, yep. I think that window's closed. Okay. And if at that point we haven't seen a reprint of Jumpstart, awesome. We're out. Like, I, I don't think there's a point where we're going to see a sizable reprint after that. Um, I think one of the interesting things, though, is as opposed to you know, the traditional sealed, and this was something I was considering looking at Jumpstart, was how the set was packaged 
because oh. you had the like goblin packs that you could get at Target. Yep. Uh, that you couldn't get at your LGS that were like, you know, here's one random tribe with some cards in yeah, it. Yeah. And that's something that I kind of looked at. I'm like, well, with all the uproar Target has had over that, I wasn't too concerned over it because they stopped sales on a lot of that stuff just because people were getting into fights or something. I, I don't know. People are stupid. Uh, but that was something that I actually took into consideration as well, was how many variant packagings do we have on these sets? Because like, we've said it before. I mean, we have, what, collector's boosters, draft boosters, set, set boosters, boosters. Uh, the what's the premium packs or whatever, yep. the, like, not fat packs, but basically fat packs. Yep, yeah. Uh, the theme bundles, depending on the set, like, you know, Ravnica had the guild packs. And it's, you know, when... When you look at sealed, for me, that was something I also took into consideration, but it boiled down to what you touched on at the beginning. What has the most product viability for EDH in terms of singles? Uh, and I looked at print run as well, because a lot of this stuff is shortened from 2020. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's interesting that we both picked standard sets from 2020, because we've harped for the entirety of this cast, don't invest in sealed on standard sets. They're printed into the ground. But we actually see an exception now. Yep, yeah. Those sets were not printed into the ground, and all of a sudden, look, standard sealed product is viable to you and I again, or we think it's viable. Yeah, absolutely. It's always weird that, um, like, Zendikar in particular is a weird set, because we know mm, this is the third time, we're three for three, on having buy a box inserts in Zendikar. Granted, hidden treasures which is what they call the first one wasn't a guaranteed hit it was yeah. more like the expeditions in the second but this was uh, a bio box promo in every one but it feels like no matter how you slice it at least the first set in a zendikar block is always going to be a banger yeah and like absolutely that that's the one you hold on to what surprised me overall was the value of akoria i was going to pick that set no matter what because of the triumphs and the companions and then looking at the rest of the set and what is available and the price on a lot of those cards that overlap between EDH and competitive right now, I was surprised how well it stood up. I was thinking about a lot of the one-off stuff, like I mentioned Luminous Broodmoth earlier, there's Sprite Dragon which doesn't really see play uh, in EDH but could. Fiend Artisan is now an EDH only card without a $35 pre-order you know, Um, General Kudro I think was a call for, you know there's a pick early on in the cast, it has a price it's mainly, um, it's a non-competitive thing Winota, despite the fact that it keeps getting banned, is still here. It's an EDH card. It's a competitive card. Most of the ultimatums have a price, right? Yeah. These, these are like big, goofy cards that see play in both formats. And if you want to tell me at some point in time you're going to sit down and play EDH and not see a Shark Typhoon, I'm going to tell you you're a liar. You'll see that card. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Typhoon, right? And, yeah. And Aquaria just seemed kind of, again, ripe with options. And this is what we're seeing now. This is not what we're going to be seeing, you know, in years down the road. You know, as people explore these sets a little more and they have more time to see them, more time to enjoy them later on, and, and as Wasi keeps evolving things, you know, uh, granted some stuff did fall flat. Like, there's, like, maybe a whole one um, mutate creature on here. Like, I doubt we ever see any of those creep up because of... EDH play or competitive play. Yeah. But if they actually wanted to make that mechanic work, who knows? It could be a commander deck that they dedicate to it, and then 
we'll see the rise of mutate cards that were all bulk and now the set begins to float a little higher than it did before and that's part of the reason why i like this set is because the odd they're saying the loud part loud yeah you know, the, the quiet part is still say is still saying quiet here and i think it's going to be that way for years and i think this set is going to be surprising down the road i, I really think it is um, you know variance withstanding yeah, I think that's probably, of any of the sets in 2020, and this includes Gem, Jumpstart, I think Zendikar and Ikoria have the best bulk, rares, mythics, yep. whatever, of any set from 2020. I, I think that there's a lot of potential there in the uncommon slot and the bulk rare slot. Um, you know, Jumpstart has Sarkin's Unsealing in the bulk rare slot, which may one day be worth money. It tugs at Probably your not. cackles of your cold heart. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, but I, I will say, I think it's interesting that neither of us picked the set that had Grim Tutor. Yeah, Core. Yeah, I uh, that that and like Eugene and all kinds of like high power reprints. But I think, you know, to the point that, you know, you and I just made, there's a lot of noise, but there's not a lot of quiet in the Core sets. Yeah. The core sets by design have a good ceiling, but their floor is real, real, real low. Yep. And your non-core sets tend to have a higher floor. Yep. Yeah. So. Exactly. The, the one thing that I, re I just looked at now that was released this year that I totally forgot about, and this might be worth talking about because my friend has a couple of them waiting to draft still, uh, Mystery Booster Retail Edition. Oh, yeah. yeah. I completely forgot about that. Those were great. Yeah, those are like... Those have doubled yeah. or maybe even quadded, depending on when you, you got in. And um, you know, supposedly there's going to be another release of some sort uh, of these. Um, yeah. We'll see. But yeah, that's that's actually a really good one. And I think the appeal of that one, as opposed to the like Jumpstart, Ikoria, Zendikar, is that's the kind of thing that, like, you know what? Uh, I want to draft for my birthday. Let's do a mystery booster draft. I'm going to buy a box. You, you have not just the collectors that it appeals to, it appeals to players because it is an eminently playable sealed product. It's something that, like, you know, similar to Jumpstart, if we get through the reprint window, I don't, I think this is the floor. I don't think it ever goes down. Nope. This, this is it. Because from here on out, like, any kind of mystery boosters and stuff that they print, they're going to have to redo the set. Yes. Or there's going to be some kind of distinct difference because the copyright date's going to change or something to denote that it's a reprint variation of the set yeah and i think that that's that is i can't even believe i didn't think of it that's probably the best seal to sit on but it may be in the double masters era where it's already like too expensive for you to like easily acquire now yeah yeah i think that's the case the, the reason i thought of it to look it up now as we're talking about this because my friend mentioned they're over 200 dollars a piece and so he's having a crisis of conscience because he's had it this <laughs> entire time with the intent to draft they came yeah. out in march you know, we were in lockdown up here uh, the second week of March, March yeah. 13th, I think. We were effectively, the entire state was in lockdown. So he's had them for a year and four months right now. And with yeah. the, the cost on them, he can make profit on his purchase by selling one and drafting the other if he wants. But like I said, it's a crisis of conscience because of where it is. So I think yeah. that's a good point to, to make as well is that what is the ceiling we, we don't know, but it might not be that much higher than where we are right now. Yeah. 
No, I, I don't think it's because it's never going to get to the like, oh, here's a weather light sealed box for a thousand dollars. I mean, yeah. maybe in 10 to 15 years. But do you want to really sit on it for that long? Probably not. No. And I think a lot of that value is going to come from the uh, the inherent mystery of what's inside uh, combined with the floor raising on the cards that could be in there. So the, the only two yeah. that come to mind off the top of my head, and these are bad examples, are Choke and Worship, because they're the only cards I actually <laughs> remember from this set. And Choke was worth almost nothing when that set premiered, and then it popped up towards 20, maybe even higher than that now. And Worship took a nosedive at the same time. Yep. But if Choke holds or rises, Worship rises, a good chunk of that set, because it covers this huge swath of the game, rises. Then you can see an increase in the overall set price because of that. And like I mentioned up top of this, the inherent mystery involved in what yeah. you're going to crack in that box. You know, gambler's going to gamble. Pretty much, yeah. I, I think it's the best. If if your sealed model is, I want to appeal to the D-gens. Yeah. I want to appeal to the guys that will pay $30 for a pack and flip it or rip it. I think that's the set you go for along with Double Masters. Uh, speaking of which, are we going to flip it or rip it at Galveston? I we should. So. Why not? Anyways, AFR uh, is going to be uh, flowing, so why not? Here we go. Um, so another another question about Jumpstart because it's the more I think about Jumpstart, the more I remember what happens on Arena and what happens there doesn't stay there. So yeah. cards from Jumpstart became, you know, legal in historic, right? So yeah. let's say in time, Watsi takes some of these. I'm going to put high profile in quotes here, high profile cards, uh, out, like Allosaurus Shepherd, Bruvac, Tiny Bones, Muxus, right? These are yeah. probably some of the best examples and puts them into a modern supplemental. I think a secret layer may be more likely. Well, to get it into modern, right? Let's say we oh, actually fair. make yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. You're non-legacy right, yeah. playable. Yeah. Um, what do, you, do you think that actually pushes the price up now on the Jumpstart card? Singles? Sealed? I think it pushes sealed up. I think it takes singles down. And the reason I think it takes sealed up is because it's one of those things that like, oh, uh, more eyes on this. This was the original set. Maybe it's a little bit more in demand now. Okay. You know, every time the swords got reprinted, yep. Darksteel sealed went up. It, it didn't matter that it was an invention or, you know, the expanded double masters, whatever, yep. borderless, whatever they're calling them now. Every time Darksteel has gone up. And I think it's one of those things that, you know, inevitably the number of sealed jumpstart boxes, of sealed jumpstart packs, whatever, is only going to go down with time. And I think that the more attention is drawn to the set the better it is because what will happen is you'll have stores like star city yep. or card kingdom that have sealed boxes or sealed packs or whatever all of a sudden they're going to start selling them mm -hmm. and when they sell those sealed products the people like you and i or bruso or whoever that just have this you know stockpile of sealed that they haven't all of a sudden we're looking at ours become more valuable because these companies that hold vast amounts of this sealed product are just getting rid of their stock because that's their business model. Yeah. They want to sell it for profit. Um, and as soon as that profit's made, they're out. So I think that's one of those things that if, you know, we get reprinted in a modern set, it just drives it up because worst case, people will try to degen and, you know, hope to open a, 
triple albino super smeared print of Muxus because Jumpstart had infinite print issues as yeah. well. So. A Muxus that is also a brewback because you can have an island that is also a forest. Yeah. 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 That kind of Pretty stuff. great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And I could be wrong, but that's how I feel about it. No, it was just an interesting thought that occurred to me as we were talking about this because, like I said, Jumpstart does provide some very unique um, thought experiments because it exists in this weird space and what they do with it on Arena in regards yeah. to uh, card legality. And then I guess the, the last question I have overall is, um, we, you know, you take a set like Zendikar and you say, okay, for me, it's, uh, I don't want to deal with the collector's boosters. I want to deal with the set itself. Biobox promo aside, that's where I think the largest uh, growth opportunity is. But when we see things like what happened today with Amazon reloading collect Zendikar collector's boosters at a fairly decent price, does that make it appealing to move into collector's boosters to hold for the long term when in the short term they don't really seem to have have accrued that much value i think for for me it does i like seeing that reload i'm like all right so buy into the dip right yeah yeah and i think that collector's boosters are the way to go for value generally if like look you're going to be able to buy list them effectively way better than you can regular boxes and I think that's one of the big things is that regular boxes you're going to have to out to players because you're never going to like beat wholesale. Yeah, yeah. Like they're they're not going to pay you wholesale. They're just not. They're not. And I think that on collectors boosters for me, it's not something I go super deep on. I may get a case of like set boosters, but I'm probably you know, or maybe two cases of set boosters. I'm definitely not getting two cases of collectors boosters, but I wouldn't mind sitting on a box here and there and just like, all right, well, you know, here's. So over here in the corner, I'll look at it periodically, and then one day I'll look up, and it'll have you know, forty percent more than what I paid for it, and I'll sell it. Yeah. Uh, does it make you want to go in on them, or are you like, ah, stay away? No, I think it, it makes it more appealing to me because it basically tells me like, hey, these might be short printed, but they're not as short printed as everybody wants to think they are. And every time we reload, and people think the sky is falling, it does allow you to continue to buy into the dip. And, yeah. You know, seeing that reload having this topic picked out last week like it was mentioned in our in our discord by S&D like yeah it's a really topical discussion to have but solely because of the opportunity cost of buying back into the collector's boosters you know in the dip yeah when, when looking at this um, but given the opportunity in a year or two when collector's boosters rebound and begin their expected movement I would buy into regular boxes of Zendikar because their movement won't have started yet. Yeah. Set, set boxes generally, I, I think we mentioned uh, here and there, take about five years to really start to accrue yep, a, you know, decent interest to the point where you can out them either to buy a list or to players at a profit. There's no quick turnaround on sealed unless the set is insane. And yeah. the EV, it just happens to be there. You know, the, the RAV sets are usually close to that because Shockland EV is generally pretty high. And the number of shocks per box is often high it's enough to... Pretty control. high. Yeah, exactly. Shoulder that burden. Um, so, so The that's Masterpiece where, sets were kind of an exception, but that's for obvious reasons. Yeah. So, so that, that's where I am. Given the opportunity yeah. for Ikoria to take collector's boosters versus uh, set in the same position... I 
don't know exactly how I would feel. Part of it is because I would need to do the research to see what variants come within the Aquaria boosters. The Godzilla stuff, I don't know if it's selling as well as it used to. No, um, it, it is not. Buy lists are super aggressive on it, but it's not selling domestically as well yeah. as it has in the past. Um, especially for the cards that aren't seeing immediate play. So, um, like, Sprite Dragon is the only one that comes to mind, right? Um, all the other ones, like Dirtle Turtle and, you know, the eight variations of Godzilla seem to kind of fall in flat. Uh, even... Even Death Corona is yeah, basically... That's, that's exactly what I was thinking of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, sorry, we chose a scientific name. Sorry, there's also a virus three years in the future after we designed this card. Like, yeah, like, yeah. that's got it, whatever. But yeah, like, live in the meme dream, that card has even dropped in price and is kind of stagnant. So I would need to do the research on that before I move in on Aquaria boxes, uh, yeah. CBBs, uh, over set. I think at the end of the day, it's going, it's easier for me to move set boxes because the Triomes have a really good price point right now. $10 for Teamer, $12 for Jeskai, $13 for Sultai. And so these are obviously being carried by uh, Modern, Modern, and Standard, respectively, right now. But I don't foresee that dropping no. uh, in the long term. And the price on the variants might be too much for people to want to buy into for the Triumph, so it might be a harder move. Or I might not find that margin in the long term on that variant and I, so I would rather take the hit quote unquote and go with the set box for Aquaria yeah that makes sense that's I'd, I'd be much more comfortable with the set box myself than I would the collectors especially because like uh, Aquaria was one of those sets that was definitely impacted by COVID yeah. uh, and the collectors boosters aren't going to be as plentiful as you know your Zendikar Rising are now that we're kind of in the clear manufacturing wise and we're getting restocks on sets yeah so the, the other thing that's interesting to note when we're, you know, we picked our sets we discussed the standard stuff and we're talking about collectors boosters now is that we haven't picked anything with any kind of ridiculous border variant you know no I didn't think about I picked out Theros and I didn't want call time at all yeah the, neither of them were in here and part of that was because I didn't want to have to figure out what was going to go on with those variant frames yeah. obviously they hold the price premium based on scarcity but the, at the end of the day is scarcity enough to carry that product across the finish line for me to turn a profit on a box or a bunch of cards and I, I don't know because to me it always seems subjective like art yeah you know, that's are, fair Yeah, people are going to want what they want in that regard and I never want to try and figure that out so I want to appeal to the widest audience possible with that stuff yeah I think that's the way to do it yeah you got anything else we want to move on to picks let's do picks alright I went first last week so this is you alright so I love my pick this week I did too it's a, it's a little it's a little out of the ordinary for me I'm not going for foil or flash or pimp or anything I'm going EDH we're going time spiral remastered sliver legion why? Because it's a sliver with an insane price history. It's on the downtrend, as are a lot of Time Spiral Remastered cards. So, like we just said, buy into the dip. Now, as far as border variation goes, I'm going to be honest, I'm, I am not saying to go for the retro version. Uh, I am actually saying let's go for the regular pack version. So if you look at the price graph on stocks, 
you can see that right now our low is at about $18, which is just about the lowest it's ever been. Uh, in fact, July 21st was the all-time low for this card on TCG Player. That means we're at the valley. Now is the time to buy it. This card is a great sliver general, as you can see from price history, not just from Time Spiral Remastered, but from Future Side as well. This card holds value. It rebounds. What we're seeing now is obviously our dip from Time Spiral. This card, there is no way this card doesn't recover. It's something that's plain specific. It's something that is unique and very tribal. And if there's one thing that casuals love, it's tribal, especially tribal xenomorphs. Now, looking at the future site price history, and this is why I'm picking Time Spiral Remastered. You can see where prior to the Time Spiral Remastered printing, this card was over $100. And we're now down to about 32 for the future site, which means that the Time Spiral Remastered is barely over half the price of the future site one. If we ever get slivers again, anywhere, symmetrical, asymmetrical, doesn't matter, this card will go up in value. This is a card that EDH players love because it's five colors. So when they're building their 42 or whatever it is, it's an easy to put together. This stuff slides right into a tribal deck. It's something that looks great in binders to even out trades. It's something that looks great in a case because there's always someone that, oh, I know a guy that's working on a sliver deck. I'll pick this up for him as a present. It's just an all around good card to have in your case. Yeah. Binder, whatever. whatever. Uh, in terms of turnaround, if you look at historically, and granted, we're going to go back to the future site one here, what we have periodically is we see a valley in the card. Uh, we'll take end of 2019, for example. Within five months, the card rebounds. Card goes down. Five months, it rebounds. Card goes down. Five months, it rebounds. I don't think there's any reason this isn't the case. In fact, it may actually be faster because Time Spiral Remastered was such a popular set that while we did get a restock on Amazon, I don't think there's a whole lot of supply sitting around. So in terms of like turnaround on this for a profit, I'd say conservatively, you're probably looking at about nine months for when you'd be able to out this either at a booth yep. uh, or to a player or something like that for profit. Like if you can get in now at about 12 to $14, that's a great spot to be in. Uh, you know, in a couple months, you may be able to get your money back, worst case, by buy listing someplace. So I think it's it strikes all of the boxes that I typically stay away from. Uh, it's not flashy. It's not reserved lists. It's not foil. It's just a good casual EDH card. Yep. Uh, and, you know, right now, for example, 1250 is Card Kingdom's buy price, 1625 for credit. So you're almost to the point where you could arbitrage if you buy off low off TCG. So I think it's a great buy. Just post an ISO post. Hey, I'm paying $15 on this card. I'm sure you get more than a few of them. Yeah. Uh, this is interesting. I haven't looked at the price on Legion or Sliver Overlord in a while. And it's kind of interesting to note now that the financial burden from the Slivers deck is basically if you discount Sliver Queen and you're, you actually understand what slivers are good, so you're not playing the first sliver. Uh, the, the burden of price is now on Sliver Overlord. Yep. It's no longer Sliver Legion. But you can still buy both for less than what Sliver Legion used to cost. 
And I think there might just be... A, there. I'm sure there's a lot of stigma around the Sliver deck. Because it's very difficult to build a bad version of that deck. So popularity and thus demand is probably currently suppressed by a number of factors. And I believe the stigma of price is one of them. But yeah. that's because people are not keeping up with the price of Sliver Legion. They just expect it to hold the value it used to. You know, it was Future Sight, then it was a Judge promo, and now it's Time Spiral Remastered, right? But it was so expensive for so long that a lot of people just forgot about it. It doesn't take a special kind of person to want to play a Sliver deck at a table. You just want to be aggressive. You can, it's, it's similar to playing, like, Tribal Tribal or, yeah. like, Minotaurs or something like that, which can get really aggressive. But both of those can be built very badly. It's difficult to build a bad Sliver deck. And if you don't always want to be the Lightning Rod, if you don't always want to be the first one targeted, then, you know, this card might not be for you at the end of the day. And yeah. that's my only concern with this, is that to go deep on it for me would probably just be slapping down a Chris Benjamin on it and just picking oh, yeah. up four, right? Yeah. Because I think as a, as a backpacker, as an individual, that's going to be the best I could do in terms of moving the card. Um, as an actual vendor or knowing that I'm going to move to buy a list, I'd be happier picking more up overall in the long run and knowing that I'm going to be able to, if I move to in the long run, I'll probably make my money back on the majority of that transaction Yeah. while I'm waiting for Violas to rise. Otherwise, I agree with everything, and I like it as a pick. Um, when I was scouring Card Kingdom and TCG Player for Time Spiral Master Cards to pick up on the cheap, Sliver Legion was not one of them, I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. It was not. I picked up Coalition Relics, and I picked up uh, Safis. Oh, yeah. They're EDH playable. Like. Yep. So it's not like I wasn't looking for EDH cards, but Sliver Legion surely was not on that on that checklist uh, of things to look out for. Uh, I I had also had the price memory of, oh, I'm sure this card is still pretty expensive. When I looked it up a couple weeks ago, and I'm like, wait, no, it's not. Oh, yeah. now it's trending down. Okay, let's let's keep an eye on it just to make sure. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going with EDH as well. Um, I guess I'm going with the big flashy spell by comparison. I don't really know what you consider this one. Uh, it's Open the Vaults from Core 2010, so M10, right? And yep. the price graph for this is, is, is kind of hackneyed. It's all over the place, but the slump we're seeing here in um, late 2020 is because of the reprint in uh, a Commander Set. No, Double Masters, I'm sorry. There's also yeah. reprints in two Commander Sets. So, man, I love this card. Um, this is not something I've been tracking for a while. It finally just hit CK, uh, CK's Bialis for like the umpteenth time, so I just fired off on it. It sat stagnant for a while, and it's like, I've just seen it so many times I had a, to just pick it. So, um, you know, this is one of the best recursion spells for white-based equipment decks, and it's an approachable replenish for those decks based around enchantments. You know, replenish is the original. It costs three and a white for a sorcery that returns all your enchantments from your graveyard to the battlefield. Um, you know, this is fixed, it hits equipment, and it's symmetrical, which can be a little damning, but I'll get to that in a moment, right? So, you know, this is a unilateral concern, and it's more of a concern in a game than while you're building the deck. Um, you know, keeping that in mind does shape things like your land base. If you have black, that means you probably want Bajukabog or spell possibilities like Leyline of the Void and Nihil Spell on, but that is... Um, 
more, like I said, more uh, for a concern in the game than while building the deck. You don't want to take into consideration your entire pod when you're building this deck. You just yeah. want to take into consideration, you know, Bajukabog is a good card. It comes into play tapped, but it has a cool, it has a good effect. I'll probably want something like that. Or Nihil Spellbomb does more than just hose the other person that will be affected by this. It also stops the Graveyard Recursion Jank. Cool. That's a little more approachable than something like Leyline, which is kind of like your nuclear option. Yeah. So it should not weigh heavily on whether or not you choose to play Spoils of the Vault in your Zur deck, in your Gen deck, in your Arden deck, etc. It should be a fundamental and foundational piece of any deck looking to end the game via enchantments, equipment, or both. Um, it allows you to essentially win on the spot or lock up the game after having your board wiped or individual pieces destroyed. And I think this card is currently underrepresented and suffers from the EDH rec feedback loop for a lot of generals. But those players that instead of using EDH rec as a guide, sorry, use it as a guide instead of a Bible are the ones currently moving in on this card. So the people that yeah. just don't follow what you see on rec immediately, the people that use it as a guide to say, okay, what if, if I'm building, let me, let me pull up rec for instance, right? So we got rec, okay, I'm gonna build an equipment deck my general is going to be Zabaz. I'm just picking this because it's a brand new commander. You know, what are people who are playing Arden doing? What are people who are playing Saram doing? And they take into consideration multiple decks that people are playing. And they, they look at this. They're going to see this kind of card. They're going to see more options. And somebody just says, give me the average uh, Zabaz deck. Yeah. You know, and then play that. Uh, those people are the ones that are going, like, that are currently missing this card and kind of doing themselves a disservice, I believe. Um, I played uh, Numot equipment, Jeskai equipment for the longest time, and Open the Vaults is an incredibly powerful card when you're just playing Voltron. Oh, yes. Yeah. Even if yeah. you're playing uh, what the OG uh, Voltron deck, Isamaru, Hound of Konda, Mono White, your general costs one and is a 2 2. Thing doesn't block, it will never block because it just turns sideways. You give it a vigilance, it doesn't matter, it's still turning sideways. Yep. If somebody at Chroma's uh, Vengeance is your board, open the vaults put you right back in business alongside a copy right, you can't even replenish just open the vaults right yeah bang boom that's it i mentioned gen i mentioned sir these are enchantment based generals if you have to go digging through your graveyard one piece at a time for recursion it's going to take you a very long time to get back into that game and you'll most likely lose out but with replenish and open the vaults it allows you to just come storming right back and makes your graveyard an eminent threat and a zone you can play from profitably it's also interesting because this is a card that at one point was in a competitive modern deck. We we did have an open the vaults second sunrise style deck. So oh, yeah, it is yeah. something that you know, to me not only does it have the EDH appeal, it also has the appeal of, you know, I'm at any given time only one to two cards away from just exploding and all of a sudden I have constructed playability. Yep. It's not something I really thought about when I was looking at this because it's like six is a little too much, especially in the formats which you know them right now. But no, you're absolutely right. It does have that ability. Yeah. So, you know, printed like printed an M10. I maintained price based on scarcity for some time, but Commander 2015, 2016, and Double Masters printings saw that come to an end. The price finally took a tumble after Double Masters. So I don't have much historical data historical data on this. Um, it's really what's available on stocks because, like I said, I saw it last week and just fired up. But we're buying the plateau, which is exactly where we want to be finally. And even better is that 
Um, this is floated, as I mentioned, on and off CK's buy list with a low number of unique prices across all versions on TCG Player. Somewhere between 70 and 150 unique prices for M10 and 2015 and 2016 and Double Masters. So, and we've seen decent demand across all of them recently. So according to the available sales, uh, sales data on TCG product pages, we should start to climb out of this plateau, seeing profit to buy list in about six months. And so when I when I mentioned sales data, I'll do this real quick, hopefully it comes through. We just pull up the page, we click on see more sales, and we can just see here, you know, in the last week, we have the we've hit the max number of sales for 2010. You know, not that great overall, uh, but we don't know what quantities people are buying, right? We see a couple of foils move, but at the same time, we're seeing a, a drop in listings overall. We filter for like plain near me because that's all I really care about. So we've seen, uh, what did I mark this down as? We've seen a handful of listings be removed, uh, probably in the neighborhood of three to five of the weekend unique prices. So small demand right now across four versions, but it's steady demand. So that's about six months. The quantity that CK is buying right now is uninspiring they're buying about 20 but as demand continues to remove copies from the market at a steady pace we'll see card kingdoms buy list rise you know, accordingly um, then my last little bit for the timeline here is that the new build options for modern horizons 2 are eminently attainable i.e they're cheap so it's not as if there is a financial barrier to cross but any kind of light shown on this card be it content or an appearance on stocks itself will give us everything we need for that delta between open market and card kingdom to close and card kingdom to start picking up more copies so right now we're buying in a period where there is demand it's constant it's not great and the moment we start to see this dry up or content around it that's when everything kind of picks up and goes into overdrive and we're no longer yeah. seeing you know 150 to two dollars on tcg we're seeing three to four and car kingdom will move as expected yeah. I, I think that's one of the key things there too is that a lot of times I think cards like this are gatekept by price for something else. And the fact that a lot of the best build options came out recently and it's not price gated is a reason to buy in. Mm -hmm. Because while everything's affordable, you should go ahead and get it. Because when it's not affordable, this is going to be one of the first cards that starts moving up. Yep. Like you said, Card Kingdom will move aggressively, and then once that arbitrage option happens and goes away, all of a sudden, all right, well, now I'm out of luck. Yeah. So, For what it's worth right now, the, the Delta for 2010 from TCG Player to Card Kingdom in credit is only about 15 to 20 cents, so you're not losing that much, and that's not a, a big uh, Delta to really cross. It's as no. you get towards $3 and you're looking at like uh, a 50% Delta, you know, that's where things get a little more unsavory. And that's where I would expect to have to pull the ripcord if the open market continues to move and Card Kingdom doesn't. But at the same time, you can just sell into the open market. If you were to yeah. pull a unique price quantity from TCG Player overall right now, you could probably shift the needle pretty easily because, like I said, between there's somewhere between 70 and 150 across all three printings of this card. It's not that difficult to attempt to, yeah, to attempt to extract. Um, yeah. Let me pull it back up because TCG Player's links internally didn't work. Imagine that. Yeah, Commander 
2015 and 2016 both have under 100 listings total of this card, all conditions, it seems like. Right? That's a pretty good opportunity. Yep. And there's 200 across all for 2010 and 150 for Double Masters. So when I give you guys my numbers for unique prices, I'm, I'm looking at uh, LP and near mint. Right? Yeah. This is a cheap enough card where I don't have to consider MP and HP because the price barrier is so high. But my expectation is similar to some of my other picks is once we start seeing this quantity drop and the core set comes down to close to 100, Double Masters is, you know, it's a 150. As that drops to 100, that's when this is going to pick up. That's when this yeah. takes off. Should be quick, I'd imagine. Uh, open the vaults, good card. If you play an equipment or enchantment deck and you don't own them yet, you probably should because it's a, yeah. a very, very handy card, especially if you don't own Replenish. So that's uh, my two cents and my pick for the week. Dig it. Anything else? Nope. All right, then I think we are out of here for this week. So as always, we are at MTG Ballcast on Twitter, Facebook, and you can find us on Patreon. Uh, also, the video is up on YouTube under MTG Podcast. Uh, our actual audio podcast is up on Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you would like to reach out to us individually, I am at Halt I am Reptar on Twitter. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. We'll see you next week.